when you're dealing with juvenile delinquents, the types that you've had there, both boys and girls, it's not a mental health issue. You could have a summit on it, all the summits you want. You could put a blue ribbon panel commission together. It's not going to do anything. You've got to take proactive action, and that means you have to let the police do their job, and civilians must step up and fill the void, and government must encourage that because there's never going to be enough money to solve this kind of a problem. Good to have you back with us on a very busy, busy week of talk. Lots to talk about, and that is the voice of... Curtis Silva, he's one of the founding members of the Guardian Angels, which has been um, trying to bring a chapter here to the city of Toronto for many, many years and been rejected, but now offering their services again, saying, hey, you want us to help or not? You got to do something. It's not working what you're doing now. Let me bring in John Reed, president of the Toronto Police Association, because we meet this time every uh, Thursday, and I very much appreciate uh, you joining us, because there's lots to talk about today, for sure. Thanks. Yes, good morning, Alex. How are you? All right. There you go. So I don't know your feelings on this. I know it's been an issue kind of battered around the past and rejected, but when a group like the Guardian Angels say, hey, we're here uh, at your service to volunteer, what are the, what, how do the police view that? Do, are they, do they welcome that? Would they be open to that? No, I think the reality is here, you know, policing needs to be left to the professionals, which are the police, to do the policing. Um, I think, you know, the... Um, general public they do play a huge part in policing from the point of view of being the eyes and ears of the police and they have the benefit of uh you know essentially being everywhere across the city but we do encourage people if in fact they do see something that's concerning to them then you contact the police to deal with it our, our people are trained and they have all the information and the tools to deal with an issue yeah, I mean, is there any role for community? Because at this point, and 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 certainly you've been watching the headlines. Um, you know, when we've got three people on Wednesday, one being stabbed, two transit drivers being chased with dirty needles, and then you get a woman thrown down the stairs uh, and and robbed at the Broadview subway. You got all these incidents, and a woman stabbed on Tuesday. This is not something that police can do on their own. I mean, you can't, it, stranger attacks are almost impossible to stop. It's like whack-a-mole. But uh, what are your officers are telling you about this situation? Well, I think you have to start looking at um, all these incidents, uh, who's involved in them. You know, some instances, they're uh, out-and-out criminality. Uh, other issues, they're going to be mental health issues. But I think mm-hmm. the mental health issue, which really we can, we can kind of talk about now, and we have to look at it, <clears throat> You know, these individuals now are going to the TTC and on the TT system. Um, mm-hmm. But I have to ask, you know, we've been criticized by mental health experts, the police, for 20 years. And I have to ask, where are these people now, these mental health, health experts uh, that criticize the police all the time? We currently know that there's a lot of individuals who are down on the subway, in the subway system, that need mm-hmm. their help. I may think that they actually stepped up and got out there and mm-hmm. engaged these and tried to assist. Because, I, you know, it's very frustrating for our men and women. Um, you know, if bodies like that, for groups, they sit on the sidelines just waiting for the police to do our job, then come out and criticize us again. You know, I'd invite mm-hmm. them to come down on these platforms and start dealing with the individuals and assisting where they can. Because they, they, we, you know, obviously we do need the help. Police are not the be-all and end-all uh, for this by any stretch of the imagination. No, it's been a problem, you know, waging for years. The opiate crisis didn't just start. 2015, it started emerging and people were begging for help back then, saying, look, do something. And every level of government turned away and then decided the answer was safe injection sites, which 
come with their own, you know, source of problems. Um, but what is crystal clear to me in, in the many conversations is that, you know, uh, we got all these promises uh, by government, you know, but then they went and shut down, you know, facilities for mental health illness. They got rid of those because they didn't like, they thought they were, uh, you know, not compassionate. You know, they didn't invest in supports for communities. They clearly haven't made the investments. We get the announcements on affordable housing, but it doesn't exist. And so, therefore, you've got all these people now living in the shelters, uh, in the subway systems, because that's the only shelter they can find. And so, shame on them for not doing anything. But we have a problem today where we've got people getting hurt every day, John. What is the immediate reaction if it's not um, bringing in some kind of volunteer stream uh, or mental health crisis, um, people that don't really exist. There's not enough of them. Well, I think, unfortunately, we're back in the situation where when everything else fails, it falls to the mm-hmm. feet of the police. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we're going to do is, you know, people ask and they want more police officers um, on the subway system. And, and I think part of that also is the general feeling of, uh, of safety. And a lot of times with these situations, it's, it's not whether or not the data says you're safe. It's your perception. And right now, unfortunately, there's a perception that the subway system is not safe. And, and that's, uh, I think, something which the, obviously the mayor, police service, and the TCC are going to have to address. Well, they will. But again, all the things I'm hearing, it's a lot of talk, but these solutions are going to take a long time to come into play. And if we keep going at this rate, um, you know, it's going to be, you know, people will never get on transit again. And I know that you're going to be on the 31st. You'll be at the, um, you'll be in, I guess, Queen's Park at the standing committee. Uh, and you're going to be part of this study to, to reform bail reform. And, and so, you know, that is a part of the conversation. It's not just mental health illness that we're dealing with here. Part of this is, the catch and release, we've got gang elements that, you know, feed into the drug issues, the drug trafficking, you know, feeding the addictions. So it's it's all kind of feeding into each other. But uh, what, what are we expecting at that particular meeting? So at that meeting, myself from the Toronto Police Association, the Ontario Provincial Police Association, the Police Association of Ontario, those three bodies will be speaking on behalf of over 60, uh, sorry, about 50,000 members and police officers and law enforcement personnel across Ontario. And the whole idea here is to explain some of the issues that we see in the front line uh, and also put forward some solutions. Because I think it's very, very important. It's very easy to complain about something, but it's much more fulsome if you actually come forward and you actually have some uh, solutions you can suggest to change. And simple things like the courts, I think one thing needs to do, they need to look at if somebody has a past history of not abiding with their bail conditions and breaching court orders, you know, that is something which the courts have to look at and take serious consideration of as to whether or not they release somebody. And another important piece, which I'm going to be speaking about, is going to be the back end. We need to ensure yeah. police services across the province have the ability, the resources, the manpower, and tools to go and check up on these individuals that are released by the courts. Because right now, quite honestly, we don't have the staffing for it. Yeah. And we need yeah. but that's done. That's a piece in the back end that must be done. And it needs to be legislated, quite frankly. From the point of view to make sure every police service has that resource available and must have it. Yeah, it's incredible um, when you get someone out on bail who you know pretty much should not be on bail, and you're just trusting that they're going to stay home on on release. And and they've got the ankle monitoring bracelet, but there's no resource to make sure these people are actually abiding by the rules. So, you know, what could go wrong? Plenty goes wrong. Um, I yep. want to dive into something that didn't get a lot of headlines, and I just think it's probably because of the news cycles, but your association on behalf of the families of Kristen French, Leslie Mahaffey, 
uh, constables Michael Sweet and Todd Bayless. You were behind this appeal to have the prison records of Paul Bernardo, uh, Craig Monroe, Clinton Gale released to the family. So these are records that would be used in the parole board to make future decisions. And the, the judge basically slapped it down and said, it's not really our business because parole boards don't have the same transparency laws as the courts. She even fined the families 4000 bucks, But... A lot of lawyers, lawyers will say, no, this is none of your business. So they'll slap that down as well. But why do the police, what is the value, um, you know, of having these records? So we've taken this position now for many years, and this is in relation yeah. to two of our officers that were murdered. And the value of, of these records are the every time somebody goes before a parole board, it's not always the same parole board for starters, the same members. There's also, they have the ability to come up with different stories and tailor the stories, how they uh, how they feel um, to try and gain the parole board's um, leniency to get parole. But we need to show that there's, uh, if there is a path or a consistent um, narrative that they're lying all the time to the parole boards, trying to, to maneuver all the time, uh, we, need, we need to know that. And the public needs to know that. And how a convicted child, his rights supersede the rights of the public, I have no idea. I, I do look at this and I go, I, as far as I'm concerned, that person's given up their, those rights. Yeah, well, I think most people would. Uh, lawyers won't see it that way because in this yep. country, um, you know, privacy rights of the accused are, are uh, supersede almost everything, you know. But but I, I do uh, wonder if there'll ever be reform on this because there should be transparency. They've made some really crazy, stupid calls. Um, and, and I think there should be accountability. These are appointed boards. They, they have to be accountable to somebody. I agree with you, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring that accountability and bring that information to the forefront so that <clears throat> judges, families, and the public, most importantly, can actually look at the parole system themselves and decide whether or not this is a reasonable th reasonable uh, situation, a reasonable yeah. situation to be released or not. Yeah, these guys likely won't ever get released, but there are lots just as bad who do. Uh, just quickly before I let you go, John, why did they get fined 4000 bucks? Is that, like, what's with this? Have these people not been through enough, these families? Uh, you, you would think so, wouldn't you? I think that's absolutely appalling. Uh, I think these are reasonable questions for um, us and the families to ask. And how the courts find the, you know, it reasonable to levy a fine of $4,000, I have no idea. No, it's just, I, honestly. Ridiculous. I shake my head. Yeah, it is. That's one word of saying it. I can't say the other word that I would use. Um, <laughs> thanks, John. Uh, it's going to be a busy week, but we'll talk again. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. That's uh, John Reed uh, joining us here today. Honestly, you're, you're finding the families because they basically just want more transparency.